Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Mohammed Anwar and Jeff Ma to the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for having us, James. Hello. So, Mohammed, you are founder of Softway, a software company, and Jeff, you are a director at Softway. Yes. Although super brief, can you guys take a few moments to kind of introduce yourselves, your background, software, that type of thing? Sure. Uh, if you want, I'll go first, Jeff. So my name is Mohamed Anwar, president and CEO of Softway. I founded the company 18 years ago when I was still in college pursuing my computer science degree. Um, so I was 20 years old, starting out the company with no experience, no knowledge, how to run a business whatsoever. And uh, as I say, I had lots of ups and downs and uh, learned a lot along the journey, but it's been uh, worthwhile. So here I am, uh, still still in business and here to talk to you. <laughs> all right, perfect. Thank you. And Jeff? Yeah, I'll just add to that. I think um, isn't, we are, we were, I guess, at our core, still are, uh, but founded as a software company. But in uh, more recent years, we've gone through a bit of a transformation for our own uh, business, our own culture, and our own our own people. And that's led us to branch out into many other endeavors, including kind of really helping other businesses address their culture. And so we've kind of applied our technology business into like products and services that help address culture for others, just based on what we've learned and what we've able to overcome ourselves. All right. Excellent. And that's what we want to talk about today is the culture piece. You know, it's very, very hard to get a culture right that it, that allows for change and growth and, you know, psychological safety and all those other things that we need to really be successful. And, you know, with that being said, you guys have also written a book on this. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today is how do we take some of those learnings in that book and apply it to creating a good culture, fostering that culture and allowing for all those things that businesses need to do. So I'm going to ask you guys, what is the biggest challenge that you guys have experienced in leading people and teams and developing that culture overall. Yeah, sure. Um, I can start. I think that's a tough question. I mean, obviously we wrote a a whole book on it. So this podcast would have to be several times longer to kind of cover all of our perspective on this. Um, I think a good way for people, a place for for people to start uh, thinking about one of the biggest challenges in our experience is that um, there's this human tendency to really lean towards harmony. It's a word we use a lot, which is you just want to, everyone just wants to get along, right? So you, it's much easier in a meeting. Someone says something off-putting, insulting, or, you know, potentially upsetting. And it's much easier for everybody to just kind of laugh it off or just kind of disregard it for a bit, act like nothing happened, and then go on our ways uh, with smiles and things like that. That's harmony. And um, kind of an underlying um, necessity that we believe in is that you you have to get uncomfortable to impact real change, especially when it comes to culture. 
Um, there's a saying I like to say, which is that, you know, comfort conceals candor. So when you have, when you, when you prioritize comfort to have everyone feel in harmony and, and getting along, you're, the cost of that is um, being able to address real change, being able to say, hey, what you said made me uncomfortable or, hey, we need to talk about something um, a little more serious. And I think in the workplace, um, that's the, the largest obstacle and challenge I see in leading people, because especially in leading people as, as a boss, you want everyone to like you. And um, unfortunately, the side effect of, of that desire is often a lack of actual um, human connection and empathy. I'd say to add on to that, differences is the one of the biggest challenge to deal with when leading with people because everyone is unique and different from their own perspective, you know, their backgrounds, how they were raised, how they think, how they operate, uh, their opinions. Uh, that's been the trickiest part. And one of the biggest challenges is how do you lead an organization towards a unified goal when, goal when everybody comes from different perspectives, different opinions, differences, and you know, your biggest challenge is how do you mitigate all of that to still drive the outcomes you're looking for the business? So that's what I've seen as one of the biggest challenges, uh, the difference that people bring about in a team. Yeah, it both of those things you guys mentioned, absolutely, you know, correct. As a leader, you want people to like you. And as a result, you're not willing to hold people accountable or speak the truth or have those hard conversations, which then erodes trust of your other team members. And then, you know, Mo, to your, your point, everyone has different backgrounds and perspectives and trying to get everyone aligned to a goal, to a vision with having those other challenges. It's incredibly difficult to balance all of those different things. Yep. Now, in your book, Love is a Business Strategy, you guys talk about putting people at the center of work. What does that mean and how does that relate to overcoming some of these challenges? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, you want me to go ahead, Jeff? Yeah, Welcome. please. Take it. Awesome. So, um, yeah. So one of the things that I think uh, hurts organizations in making business decisions and, you know, achieve, trying to achieve their strategic objectives is that it always starts with the um, lens of the business, like profitability or customers or shareholders, right? And so everything is, uh, all decisions are being made, strategies are being built from the perspective of how do you satisfy customers? How do you take care of your shareholders? And what's going to ultimately drive revenues and margins? And a lot of the times the employees and the people of the organization are last to be considered or have to live with those decisions and adapt. And what we believe uh, from our book, which is uh, called Love as a Business Strategy, is that when every business decision and strategy can be made uh, by keeping people at the center of all of those strategic decisions, starting with them. Because if you think about every aspect of your business, there's nothing you can accomplish without the people that work at the organization. And start with them in mind, use their uh, order of hierarchy in your decision-making. We're not saying don't think about profit, don't think about customers. We're not saying that. We're saying start with the people in mind and you will probably uh, develop uh, far better strategies to achieve the business outcomes for your shareholders, for your business, and for your customers. Uh, so that's essentially our philosophy. And uh, the best way to bring people and humans together is from the universal 
commonality that exists between all of us as humanity. And we believe love, uh, which is the center of humanity, is needed to make your business strategic decisions. And that's essentially what the book at a high level is trying to cover and uncover. All right. Excellent. Now, so we want to make these decisions with people at the, at the center of work. So kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but if we take care of our people, they'll take care of the business and everything else. That's Absolutely. You summed it up. Yep. Perfect. Right. Perfect. <laughs> now, why would organizations that are traditionally focused on the triple bottom line, those types of things, want to put people at the center of work? It seems like a really big shift from what we traditionally see out there. Why yeah. would they want to make that shift? Yeah, I, I think um, the studies have consistently come out, especially in the last two years over this, right? Uh, we talk about in the book, I won't go into all the details, but it's been kind of debunked. I think it's the reality is, is that there's a tight correlation between employee satisfaction, culture, these types of things, and the bottom line. So that itself is debunked. The reason we still think that they're opposite is because of these kind of instilled systems and expectations that are built from a very outdated kind of work environment. The hierarchy that's been built over time is still in place. But the reality that we see we have today in, in almost all work environments now is that you know, by putting people first, having them enjoy their job, be invested and have ownership in what they bring to the table, you bring out the very best in them. And you also avoid a number of other problems um, that can arise. And, and um, again, I think there's a number of studies that, that have shown this to be statistically true. And I often also say, why wouldn't you want this? You know, like, why wouldn't you want a happy workplace, especially as a leader? Why wouldn't you want a team that loves each other and admires each other and gets along and you wake up in the morning? Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I got to go. I got to go work with all these people that care about me. Ugh. Like that just doesn't happen. So, you know, on, on all on all sides of it, what's keeping us back is still that there's this perception and this misconception that, you know, that there's polar opposite to to, to care about the bottom line and to take care of the people because, hey, it costs money to, to take care of people, right? Um, but I think that ROI is misunderstood and really putting people first has proven time and time again that you will uh, increase all the other things. Yeah, absolutely. I remember reading a study, I think, where um, Southwest Airlines put employees first and as a result, everything else improved. I think Chick-fil-A has done the same thing and there's a lot of other organizations out there that do this. But it's still, I don't think it's that common yet. No, it's not. And I think it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, how the in 1980s when the stock markets and the shareholders were trying to drive the stock market and the business, uh, you know, situations back then, there was this whole philosophy that the rational thing to do is appreciate your shareholder value. And everything is driven by that. And if you are able to increase shareholder value, that is the best way to drive success. So that became the forefront and the center of all business decisions. And that was a rational thing to do because business is all about making money and profits. And, you know, people are nothing but a cost center and they eat into your profits and so forth. So that was the mindset that still carried forward. And business rationality, uh, unfortunately, does not seem to... 
uh, jive well with business morality. And when you're talking about people, we're talking about moral issues and how to take care of them, how to make sure they're included. How do we, you know, these are all more moral things and uh, morality and rationality, you know, they don't see it coming together. But what we believe is that since when is ra- uh, morality not the rational thing to do? So when you put it all together, you're able to see profits and people can be uh, at the at the outcome stage of all of this. And, and I'll add to that. I think we live in a really interesting time where I think this reality is becoming more people's truths through the, especially accelerated by the pandemic and this remote work environment and a lot of things that have been going on these people are starting to understand this and people are starting to see it, which is great. But I think, you know, the bottom line is that change is really hard. And so even though we're starting to see it, people don't know how to change it. People don't know where to start and where to start, um, you know, making a difference that'll actually move us towards um, the right mindsets and the right cultures. And that's one of the big reasons we wrote the book was because yes, there's the awareness piece where, I think we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. But even once you know, hey, this is a problem. I want to have a good culture. I want to fix these things. Where do you start, right? And where do you, um, what do you adjust? And that's where I think um, that's the second piece of the equation of why this isn't just the norm. So with that being said, how do organizations put people at the center of work? What what do they got to do to get there? First step is to change the mindsets and behaviors of the leadership, right? It starts with leadership and leaders set the tone and they define, uh, they either nurture the culture or destroy the culture. So leaders have to take the first step in transforming their mindsets and behaviors about this environment and about culture and about how to look at people and how to think of people in the equation of their business. And So you start there and then the rest of the organization has to follow, right? Because uh, if the leaders set the tone, then everybody else also starts to embody the same behaviors and mindsets. Then you're able to create an environment where uh, culture is going to help be a catalyst to build high performance and achieve business outcomes when everybody brings similar mindsets and behaviors to the table so that everybody experiences culture uh, to maximize bringing your true self and full self to work. Yeah, I think I think um, mindset's exactly right, Mohammed, is where we start. And I think one of the challenges here is that, um, you know, in other changes you'd like to make in an organization, you can just adjust a process or update a tool. Um, unfortunately, when you're talking about people, you have to actually connect. Um, in other words, it's hard. It takes a lot of work. Um, you actually have to care. It's not just, Hey, we have to change the leader's mindset. That's it. Like you have to give leaders have to feel a sense of almost a need to change. You have to sense, uh, have your own case for change. Basically you have to feel, you have to turn into, you know, a different mode where if you are somebody who is just thinking bottom line, you have to change that mindset to say, you know what? I actually, I actually care about people for people, not because I still just want the bottom line and this is a tactic. Uh, to get, you know, so, so this is, re- this is genuinity needed, um, that a lot of people aren't ready to, a lot of organizations, leaders are not ready to step into that discomfort yet. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, 
a smarter way of preventative maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. Yeah, it it is discomfort. You know, you open yourself up to vulnerability. Um, you have to be willing to admit mistakes, learn from the team, work with the team, all those different things. That's a big leap of faith for especially people who have grown up in not having to do any of that to be successful or to get where they are. That is a huge shift with the leadership. Now, in the book, you talk about the six pillars of love. And those are there to, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, to kind of help the organizations understand how do they foster that the love at work to put people at the center of it. What are those six pillars of love? And you can go through and describe them. Sure. No worries. So the six pillars of cultural love are inclusion, empathy, vulnerability, trust, empowerment, and lastly, forgiveness. So those are the six pillars and I'll go one by one in order. So inclusion, I mean, obviously many people have heard it, but just to reiterate, it's it's the starting point. It's the first pillar and one of the most important pillar because it's we're all different, as I said, right? Like our challenges are that we're all different as human beings. Everyone are, are individuals who bring different perspectives. And it's important that they are all included, not just have a seat at the table, but also have the ability to have a voice and contribute and make an impact. Um, second is empathy. And uh, from an empathy lens, we're talking about being empathetic towards everyone in an inclusive manner, not just towards the people you relate with most, but towards people that you don't relate with or identify yourself with even more. Um, And so, and empathy is not a trait. It is a skill. It can be developed. It can be practiced. So people in the organization have to feel inclusion. They have to feel empathy. And then third is vulnerability which is a scary word, but it's not about sharing your deepest, darkest secrets. It's as simple as being able to say, you know what? I messed up. I apologize. That's on me. But yet it's probably the hardest thing for leaders and non-leaders to do in a work environment. Um, But once we can get to a state of vulnerability from that simple step of owning up and apologizing, then you're able to build real trust not the predictive trust that we are used to seeing, which is I will trust you only to this extent because I saw you perform this duty before. So that's all I will trust you, but nothing beyond that. Whereas if you demonstrate enough vulnerability, then you build vulnerable trust where you're trusting the intent of the people and not necessarily their history. And that allows you to truly empower everyone in your organization because now you're just not about delegating so that you put things off your plate, but you're genuinely empowering people, even if they've never done something before and giving them that trust, showing them that trust, which leads to unleashing what we call the power of empowerment, because then people are going and taking on the responsibility, not because they were delegated and they're fearful of, you know, you know, making sure that they meet the needs but they are actually doing it because they don't want to disappoint the very person who empowered them through trust. And then lastly, it's forgiveness. This is probably something no corporate environment generally speaks of, but we're all human. We hurt each other intentionally or unintentionally. And 
it leads to hurt, pain, and, you know, consequences of it. And as a result, people carry unforgiveness, meaning they're not able to let go of the hurt. This leads to gossip, slander, politics, competition, and everybody's trying to, you know, retaliate and justify their behaviors because, you know, they're trying to get back at people as a result of that unforgiveness. So we need to foster an environment where we can forgive one another, uh, whether or not we have, whether the other person knows that we've been hurt, we've been hurt by them intentionally or unintentionally. And if we can create an environment where someone makes a mistake, we can forgive them and let them have another chance and give them that type of an environment, then and only then will you have a workplace where people feel valued, respected, included, feel like they can give feedback, receive feedback, share ideas without fear of repercussion or uh, retaliation, and be able to bring their full self. And that environment fosters high-performing teams. And so these six pillars have to be experienced at all levels in the organization by everyone. And then and only then can you truly build an environment of high performance, which can then achieve any business outcome you put in front of them. So that's really our philosophy around the six pillars. And since we're talking to a, uh, you know, tech, a technical engineering audience, I can also say these six pillars are like the six cylinders of an engine. They have to all fire at the appropriate time <laughs> in proper synchronous manner to maximize the horsepower of the engine. If even one cylinder knocks, the performance of the engine goes down. So we have to see all of these six pillars in incredible cohesion and they're all interdependent and just as important to see high performance come out of this culture. All right. Excellent. So we have to have these six pillars in place to foster that. Now, how how do we go about implementing this? Is there like people have to go through, leaders have to go through some sort of training to be more empathetic, to show vulnerability, or do they just read a couple white papers and watch a couple e-learning and then they go out and do this? How do organizations actually facilitate this change and adoption of these pillars? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think the six pillars, um, as Muhammad just explained, are, it's a lot, right? There's a lot to think about, a lot to do. And, I think there's this expectation, I guess, as people address culture, that this kind of stuff can happen overnight or even over a span of a year or whatever. And the thing to understand is that um, we're not looking at an end state here. We're not looking like, oh, you have achieved vulnerability in your organization. Um, it never happens. The idea is that we have to understand that these six pillars are a balance and they are a a continuous constant state of introspection and growth for individuals and for the organization. If you ever feel like you've made it on one, you're probably missing opportunity in in that realm. And so the way we generally tackle it though, is like we said in the beginning, um, starting with mindsets and behaviors, starting with where these pillars actually show themselves in actual organizational behavior. So you can generally kind of see where a weakness is in one of the six pillars. And those can be addressed in different types of workshops, conversations. And one of the things we try to do is try to get people to recognize that there is uh, the lack of self-awareness of these things. One of the biggest problems with the pillars is 
that um, people generally just don't see that it's a problem. You just don't recognize that, oh, we have a, this, this organization has a problem with forgiveness. Like you say that to some people, they'll just look at you like, what are you talking about? Like we all get along, we all get along fine. And you'd have to really dig deep to kind of, uh, kind of unroot the kind of reality that like, no, everybody's smiling at each other and they all hate each other. Like just, just, just the nicest, nastiest people you ever meet. Like they're all just, just laughing and joking in a meeting room, but really just leaving that room like, ugh, like can't stand these folks. And, and that's a reality for workplaces all around the world. So the pillars are, um, not one silver bullet. They are uh, guideposts to kind of continue a culture's growth. And I would say, uh, James, to really get an organization to move in that direction, it starts with building self-awareness of leaders. Uh, and unfortunately, leaders and humans in general, we always have cognitive dissonance. We think we're better than what we really are, right? We think we're a better singer than how we really sound. <laughs> we think we're a better football player than how we really play. And similarly, when it comes to leading, uh, most leaders think they are better than what they really are. And they have lack of self-awareness in terms of how they think they are coming across to people versus how people are truly experiencing them. A leader might think I am inclusive and the people on your side is like, hell no. Uh, <laughs> or like, I am trusting and they're like, no, you're not. And this lack, this disconnect of how I think I'm coming across versus how people are truly experiencing me is the gap the self-awareness gap. So the first step to really even get an organization mobilized to start working on a journey of building this type of culture is by bringing about self-awareness of your own behaviors. And for that, uh, our company has a program called Seneca Leaders, and I'm going to make a plug here, uh, which is where we take leaders through an introspective journey um, through our own lived experiences and our storytelling where we share our vulnerable stories leader to leader, not from an academic case study or research, but true lived examples and lived experiences to help other leaders see themselves in our journey and build self-awareness. And so, for example, if I'm one of the facilitators, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say, hey, I'm a leader just like you. I have so many responsibilities and here's the things where I've messed up. Here is how I led the company the wrong way. And when that happens, the audience is starting to see themselves through our stories and they let their guard down and they're able to start introspecting on their own behaviors to help build that self-awareness. Once we get the leaders to a state of realization that their behaviors have a huge impact on the people around them, then we get them to a state of commitment, which is, hey, I'm committing to change. I did not realize this is how I was. This is how I come across. I want to change. Once they make that commitment, then uh, once they make that commitment, we then take them on a journey of actionable steps. Okay, now that you're committed, here are all your tools. Go about, start practicing it. Many a times, organizations go the other way around. They give you their tools. They give you all these processes, actions, but there's no realization or commitment from leaders. That's why all these change initiatives fail because we're going about it the wrong way. We're like, oh, we need this platform. We need this tool. We need this training. We need this. But when the leaders aren't even ready to accept that they have a problem, when they're not even self-aware, 
neither are they committed to change, then all these tools is just a waste of money. So our approach is different that way. It's like, yeah. it's like when they uh, rewrite their vision and mission statements to try to solve culture problems. It's- <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I'm thinking as you guys are talking through this, I use the ADCAR change management framework a lot, right? We didn't create the awareness. We didn't create the desire. We're just jumping right to knowledge and ability. No one has an interest in doing that because they don't know why or why do I have to? How does it help me? Any of that. Yep. We skip that whole important part there. Exactly. So that's why I think it's so hard to see organizations go on a culture change journey that comes out on the other side, having the impact they desire is because we're not approaching it by starting with behaviors because behaviors are the bottom line. And most of the time, lack of self-awareness leads to no understanding of how our behaviors impacting everything. Yep. So with that being said, you know, we got to start with the behaviors, that sort of thing. In my experience, when we start with the behaviors, it's the way to make this successful. However, it generally takes a while to start seeing business results when you start with behaviors. It doesn't translate into immediate ROI or any of that sort of stuff. How do leaders and organizations that want to make that transition overcome that lag time between behavior changes and you know the return? <laughs> That's a classic... Uh classic dilemma. Um, everyone wants instant gratification and results. Um, unfortunately you just have to start somewhere. Uh, that's the harsh reality of it is that these types of initiatives are rarely prioritized because it's like, Oh, we have budget cuts, cut the, cut the people stuff. Like they still have to work. They will still produce. We cannot cut, you know, our money making stuff. So let's cut this culture stuff. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. It takes, the time it takes the work and it takes um you know that effort over a period of time and and because it has to be genuine the whole way through it's hard and i think that that scares people that scares leaders that turns um hr away that turns a lot of different decision making bodies uh it gives it leaves a bad taste in their mouth they don't like it um but but when you look at organizations who have been able to commit to this and bite the bullet and kind of say, you know what, we're committed to this. That dedication alone is a huge first step to see your organization see. When your organization sees that their leadership is making commitment and sticking to it, I mean, the, the, the volume that that speaks to the trust within the organization is, is, is in, you know, it's so amazing compared to organizations who will say, you know what, we believe in you. So here's a new mission statement. Here's a new value statement. We're going to, we're going to honor trust. We're going to trust each other. We're going to have vulnerability. We're going to have all these things, guys. It's going to be great. And then a month later, um, no one sees any changes. Their leaders are still acting the same way and nobody's being held accountable for it. You just did more damage. You might as well have just not brought this up um, then have claimed to want to care for people and just shown that your relationship's transactional. So that, that's, that's where people kind of fumble and, and, and yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yep. I, I always talk about the bow wave effect, you know, you have an increase in effort or cost initially as you start this, then eventually your costs will start to go down. And depending upon how well you reinforce those behaviors, reinforce those changes, your costs may come back up or they may stay down, right? There's a balance there. So gentlemen, we've talked a lot about how do we change culture so far? What have we not talked about from your book, Love is a Business Strategy, that we want to emphasize or make sure the the listeners are aware of? 
Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make mine quick. I think one thing I don't get enough to share is kind of, um, we have a lot to say about culture itself, but personally for us, Mohammed, myself, the co-authors and, and Softway and all the things we work on, we, we, we do this because of a mission statement. And I don't think we share that enough. And I think we believe so strongly in it, but I like to be, whenever I get a chance at a platform, I like to share that with people, which is we're, we want to bring humanity back to the workplace. This, we don't, we never got into this for the money, this side of things we got into to make a difference. And it might seem like, oh, well, you're targeting businesses and trying to make money. Like the reality is, is like, we've seen too many friends and family and, and just loved ones and just people go through, this is, this is real life. I mean, this is, we spend the majority of our waking hours in a workplace and people who have to suffer through toxic cultures or this type of stuff, there's real health detriments there's real stress and illnesses and divorces and um, just literal physical injury that happens from not having the right culture in place. And you see this out in the world. And we talk about bringing humanity back to the workplace, intentionally using the word back, because we look around us and we see a world that has has kind of lost touch with it. Um, not, not making a blanket statement. There are great, you know, efforts and things happening, but our mission is, is just that. So I, I, I just want to share that because it's not always art, uh, clearly articulated and that's something we believe very strongly. Yep. And I, I'd probably just bring up the connection to high reliability because I think it's a very important topic at a lot of different type of industries like healthcare, manufacturing, um, energy and so forth where loss of life is real. Uh, when you don't have high reliability at organizations. And I think many a times organizations go through intense process uh, updates, you know, protocols, policies to try and drive behaviors. And while that does drive behaviors, it also drives the wrong behaviors because they can be punitive, they can be very restrictive, and people are afraid to share the real happenings um, that are that are leading to accidents or leading to issues. And what we've noticed is when you can institute a culture of love where people truly care for each other and support each other and are not afraid to speak up, speak the truth, have honest conversations over harmony, then you can actually increase high reliability. And if you look at the classic example of hospital systems, you know, in the United States alone, pre-COVID, there were 250,000 avoidable deaths in the hospital. Now we're not talking about you go in with a terminal injury. You go in with a condition that is not terminal, but you end up dying in the hospital. That's like, you know, a 737 crashing every five and a half hours. You would never hear that in the aviation sector. You would never hear a reliability rating that says, you know, airlines, airplane crashing every five and a half hours. Nobody would go to the airport. But yet you go to the hospital, you have higher you know, there are higher death rate and reliability issues. And when you look to the core of all of that, they can institute the best EMR system, the best process, the best protocol. But if that nurse, doctor, clinician around a patient table aren't fully engaged and bringing their full self and have complete forgiveness for the doctor for the last time yelling at them, that the nurse is going to be like, doctor, you're giving 10 mg of this medication versus one mg. That's a mistake. And if they can't speak up, then there you have it. You could lose a life, right? And so I think the connection of how culture leads to better 
higher uh, high reliability and zero harm environments is probably not emphasized as much. But I would like to say that, you know, it's important. It does have severe consequences, uh, including loss of life. So that's the last thing I would try to throw out there that culture has a place, even if people can't see the connection to business outcomes and profitability. I think love as a business strategy has a place at least for compliance and safety reasons for sure. Absolutely. If I don't have the trust uh, to be able to speak up when I see something wrong or admit that, hey, I don't know if this was done correctly, you're absolutely right. In a hospital, someone may pass away. In an industrial facility, we may have an explosion or a fire or something like that. It happens all the time. And a lot of times you do the root cause, it comes back to some cultural issue within that organization that if we took care of this culture, it would have taken care of all these problems Mm -hmm. that this causal chain led to. So I couldn't agree more. Awesome. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for taking the time. But before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you, the book, the tools, all the training, all these different things that you guys have to really make this a reality? Yeah, for the book, we we have a book available on um, really everywhere, but Amazon, Barnes and Noble, it's a bestseller. Um, we have a podcast as well by the same name, Love Is a Business Strategy, and um, I host that alongside. If you haven't, if you're not already tired of listening to us and you want more of this for some reason, uh, we post episodes every Wednesday, uh, and you can find that everywhere as well: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. So those are the plugs for that, Mo for Seneca and stuff. Yeah. And lastly, I would say, yeah, if you, if you are with an organization that's looking to transform your culture or, and start with leadership and transform, build more inclusive leadership and leadership for high reliability, we do offer uh, programs and experiences and technology products to assist with that. Like I said, our approach is to take leaders through a journey of realization, commitment, and then action. And so if you want to subscribe to that program, you can go to cultureplus.com. It is culture-plus.com and you can get uh, all the information on the products that help build high reliability, high performance and better cultures. All right. Excellent. I will make sure to put links to all of these in the show notes so people can easily access them. Um, I'll be honest, that podcast is going on my list. I didn't know that existed. So that is going on my list to sign up. Uh, so great resources. Thank you, gentlemen. Last question I always like asking people, is there a favorite resource you want to share with our people? A book, an article, a white paper, a video, anything? Besides ours? Uh... <laughs> 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 no, you got anything? Yeah, I mean, there's a book that, at least from my own transformation journey, like I don't know if I, I shared this, but I, I was a horrible leader and a terrible CEO that created a toxic workplace environment. And for me, a book that really helped change my perspective on culture was When Millennials Take Over is the name, a title of the book. I can't remember the author right away, but it is a, it is a very easily findable book um, on Amazon. It's called When Millennials Take Over. That would be a book that I would encourage every leader to read to try and understand the value of culture. It's by uh, Jamie Nodder and Maddie Grant. All right, perfect. I will make sure to put links to that in the show notes for everyone. Gentlemen, I want to thank you again for taking the time. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Looking forward to learning more about Love is a Business Strategy and seeing the results that it, it delivers. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you.
Yeah, thanks for having us, James. I appreciate it. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.